just open our time together in uh, prayer to get us going this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we just love you so much. And Lord, we um, are just so humbled just to be um, in your presence, uh, to be uh, called your children, and to be so privileged to have your word. Father, we just um, pray that uh, your spirit will just work in just a, a great way to just to change us and conform us um, through your word. Uh, to Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we can be in the fellowship of other believers to be in the fellowship of your word. And I just pray that as we commit to uh, growing together in our faith and as believers, Father, that uh, we, your spirit will work to be able to bring us even arm in arm together um, through life and as we even can apply your word to help us to navigate through uh, the circumstances of life that certainly affect us uh, on a daily basis. So, Father, we just um, can be um, rejoiced in, Father, just that um, time of fellowship here and just pray you would, your spirit will lead and uh, just to oversee over our time together. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Mark and I have, um, if you are new with us, actually it was, it's been one year, um, almost to the date, when we began our study of First Peter, so we are starting chapter three today. Yes, this those little five chapters, but there's a lot of verses. It's 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 a don't be don't be fooled. It's just five chapters, but there's a lot in those, and uh, but anyway. So I was talking to Dave this week, and he was saying, well, you know, Dad, you know, this is First Peter, talked about First Peter, and he knew we were teaching, so he was thinking that we were starting First Peter, but we're actually a little bit into it, about a year or so, but nevertheless, it is, each week is unique in itself, and it does build. Um, the, 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 the section of passage that we're on, um, Mark just did a great job of just providing that introduction, because there is this uh, topic of submission. And I can't really go further without going back a little bit to kind of understand the depth of this word of submission. So what uh, I'm going to take the liberty, because I have three weeks to get through these first seven verses of chapter 3, which I will use all three weeks for those. So today we're going to cover verses 1 and 2, next week 3, 4, 5, and 6, and then third week I will cover verse 7 um, and then Mark will tag team off of that so Mark and I have a schedule all the way through May uh, back and forth so you'll catch Mark for a few weeks you'll catch myself for a few weeks and uh, certainly presents opportunities for our schedules to coordinate our objective today is that we would give honor to God for his ordained pattern of submission whether it's a citizen an employee or a marriage partner the role of the Christian is always the same obey his pattern of submission in doing so will please him and be a testimony to the loss. This is important in, within this objective because it, it does take us back into chapter 2. And really, this Mark referenced this term of, of, of being thematic in nature. And I, I wanted to share a little bit about that. But let's take, a, first of all, the passage that we have, uh, verses... First Peter chapter three verses one and seven. We'll title this "Submission in Our Homes," and 
there, it seems to be a little bit of an imbalance when I looked at this at these passages that I had in that I have verses 1 through 6 that deal with women and only one verse with the husband. So we'll try to reconcile that imbalance to see what would be Peter's, what was the basis for him having this out of balance. But as we look at the passage, let's read it together. Um, if you have your Bible, read, I'll just read along in this version here. And I just wanted to kind of tell you about the outline that I have for you over the next few weeks. Let me read the passage. First Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the perishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands." Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Submission in our homes. There's... Submission is really going to be the focused theme of this particular passage that we'll be studying over the, the next three weeks. There are going to, there's three sections that I'm going to try to tackle on this, and I've outlined them here this way. Today we're going to try to get through verses 1 and 2 that primarily have this initial command that goes out to, uh, for submission to the wives. It talks a little bit about the motive for that submission. And then next week, we will address the, the full extent of that submission, from even from an application standpoint of submission, as it relates specifically to external aspects of the woman, which would be the external the parts of the adornment section, as well as this example section that it relates to this Old Testament uh, session, uh, section that deals with Sarah. And then finally is this single verse that deals with the husbands. So this is how we're going to go about it um, over these next few weeks. And as I've shared with you before, is the way that I go about in a studying a passage is just like this. I would take the passage and I just put it up and then I just break it apart. And the reason I break it apart is because I try to find the, connect, the connection points that help me to, un, to really understand the context of the passage, but also how to understand it for what it's there. And so clearly, we do have a connection point where it deals with wives in verse 1 and husbands in verse 7, and these connection words of in the same way. And in the same way we're going to talk about today is actually, it's a reference backwards. It's going to take us back to the preceding verses in chapter 2. Okay? So, as I would study a passage, this is how I would break it down. I... As we talk, Mark, about being a great segue into being a thematic, is that I thought we would just take a minute, or a few minutes here, and to kind of look at this overall thematic structure within First Peter. We've clearly talked about submission as being this a key part of this, but I wanted to go about it a little bit differently and giving you some perspectives 
as it relates to how Peter, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to address these key five themes. And I'm just going to start with five words to give you, and then we'll go through our little outline here. The five words are suffering, behavior, deference, example, and hope. Suffering, behavior, deference, example, and hope. And now we're going to, these will be highlighted within this. Let's start with the first one. Is that within, it says God's notice of how we will all suffer even as Jesus Christ suffered. He will be at times, we, we talk about from applications, we will at times be treated unfairly. In fact, I shouldn't even say it, it, it has, and it will. It's guaranteed. We will be treated unfairly, but that's okay. The context of persecution, which we see often in Scripture, that it's darkness that hates the light. When, it's, when we are hated for, for it, for that is the reason. So let's, I want you to take a look with me for a second. And that suffering comes in various forms. Go back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 6 for a second. Someone read that verse. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation. Suffering comes in, in various trials, is what it said in this. But that, in that verse, Mark... I spent weeks, I think, on those, those verses in there. But it was just packed with a few things. Because as we talk about the first theme that was mentioned in the first few uh, verses of chapter 1, which was suffering. And Peter is teaching really some key principles about suffering and troubles that we're going to experience in that particular verse alone. Now, the, just some of the things that we can glean from this immediately, for example, is that how long will those last? The suffering, the trials. What does it say in that verse? For a little while. It says, again, a little while. Trouble will not last. That's what the verse says. Once again, is it, what is this? It says, if... But our definition of a little while and God's definition are two different things. Okay, here's it. What we're doing is we're, your, your question is a question that's based on your standard of, me- of time. It's your measurement of time, even, your standard. What is it to God? See, this is all part of the teaching part from the standpoint is that I'm saying, okay, let's start the clock. Click. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And often, when we look at that, that suffering may be years. It could be a lifetime. But yet, in itself is that we look at it from, and this is the teaching part, a re- eternal perspective, which is what this is about. It is but a period. That is the challenging. This is the part of the application part that becomes very difficult. But again, it is the truth that you cling to. Okay, We're going to cling to that truth. But just to give you an example. So it says that it la- one trouble doesn't last very long. It also serves a very specific purpose, as we see, and it says, if need be, doesn't it? Okay? Now, when you have experienced suffering, have you, oft, have you ever gone back to say, okay, well, what is the purpose for the suffering? Have you gone back and you've processed it that way? What is the answer? Every time, right, every time, 
And I'll give you just one little personal one, okay, that it's been like huge for me in the last eight weeks is that I will not, I was, I have this issue of pride and control in my life when it comes to my body. In other words, I'm ill and I am not going to allow this to hold me down. And God just kept putting me down. So I was totally subjective to that. In other words, submit. But in that, the purpose for it was that God is in complete sovereign control over my body. You think you're smarter than the doctor? You are wrong. The third thing in that verse, again, it, it says in here that with that suffering, those, those circumstances, the trouble and, that brings, comes to our life, it brings what? Distress. It brings grief that we see in here. It comes in various trials that we see, and no matter what, through the circumstance, through the suffering, it should never in any way minimize, diminish, change our rejoicing. It says our joy. In other words, it said at the beginning of it, this is, in this you greatly, you greatly rejoice. So, suffering was the key theme that we had. And as Peter is addressing this letter, is that he is, each person that is receiving this letter at the, in the context of that time, was experiencing serious and intense persecution that was circumstantially different, potentially, for each reader. But here this is called to greatly rejoice. Sometimes it is the direct result of living in the fallen world. In that case, we suffer for the sake of righteousness. I like that verse in chapter 3, verse 14, where Peter writes... But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Suffering comes in various forms, various trials. Sometimes it's a direct result of just living in a fallen world, a universe. We live in a pagan land. It is good, as Peter reminds us later in chapter 4, to suffer as a Christian. One of the first times we see this word of Christian, chapter 4, verse 16 Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. God's concern for our suffering. Notice that we will all suffer as Christ suffered. Second theme is God's concern for our behavior. And actually, this is we saw this in the first chapter 1. God's concern for our Behavior. We can't control our circumstances, but as believers, we can control our behavior as we come under the control of Jesus Christ. Taking a look at a couple of these verses. Chapter 1, verses 13, 13 to 15. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lust as your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. God's concern for our behavior. Chapter 2, verse 12. Mark covered this verse. Having your conscience your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when you when when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. I'm going to make a direct connection between that verse to the verses that we're going to be studying as it relates to the command to the wife to be submissive to her husband. Literally, where the husband may come to faith by the very works, the conduct of that wife. Not necessarily the words, but the conduct. <laughs> we'll come back to that. They, we'll come they, back. They that one in there. <laughs> we'll come back to that. <laughs> the next theme. God's desire that we, the deference part of it, that's a, a big word for defer, okay? <laughs> deference means to defer. God's desire that we defer to others in authority over us, that we submit ourselves, subject ourselves, and respect those that God has placed in positions of leadership, regardless of whether those in such positions are righteous or unrighteous, by deferring, we, are, we defer to God's sovereignty. And Mark and I have enjoyed this section of, of passages in chapter 2 because it literally, it took us from the civil arena, the government itself, to the workplace, and now to home. Okay, And from here, it's going to actually keep going as we even look at the church um, that will go there. God's desire that we defer. There is this call or command for us, in other words, from a theme standpoint, is at the heart of this book, this epistle that he's written, it is this focus and this command for us to recognize the authority that's been placed over us, regardless of whether they are a believer or a non-believer. Okay? Stop at this point. Comment or, or... up to this point, is, there, is are you with me from the standpoint as we look at this act, this command to defer? It's going to be critical. I'm going to go through some submission here, but this look. Tell me what this looks like from a government standpoint. What would be one example? Okay. Paying our taxes. And our paychecks is last time. Six point two percent. You mean? Oh, the extra two percent. For those that didn't know that, you're going to get an extra tax if you get paid on the fifteenth coming up Tuesday. That'll be a bad. Yeah. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about? Um, but should be right, boy. Should right. Or just. No. 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 Uh, that's a great question. Okay. And the culture that we live in today, we'll answer that very quickly. Of an absolutely we would. Okay? Scripture does not direct us to do that. Within, there's, there's, we see clearly, and we've, we've spent a great deal of time with government, we've spent a great deal of time within the workplace of when, where are those thresholds of when do you, when do you take the step? When do you respond? When it directly affects or is against the the command of God and how you go about doing it. We've spent spent time on that. But, Marlene, I appreciate the question because it doesn't matter. Even within our hearts, we taught it, but yet, to Mark's question, when I say the election or I'm dealing with the the, the government process itself, the anger that builds and all that, but yet there is 
this command of, to, to sub, be subjective, to subject ourselves. I think it was a Yeah, the, one of the interesting things, and I appreciate that because the, the context of the culture that he is writing in is that's important. You've paid, painted a very important understanding to what's happening there. In other words, as we get into this whole aspect of of why he's being spending so much time on behavior and so much time on deference to deferring to them because literally they are scattered. They're on the run. They're persecuted. And in some of the examples that I will give specifically about women, you'll understand the, 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 the context is different than it is today. There, there's the application for us today, but it is a little different context today. John. And in each of those, it points specifically about, again, a direct command against God and what he was doing. And we, those were great examples, John. And that's, that's how we, what we've done in the past is we've looked at how you navigate through that to say, when? To answer your direct question, when do I? Every situation, Marlene, will be a little bit different. But it, therefore, as, as believers, that we understand specifically what God's commands are. Build on that. I mean, go back and listen to those sections. Our intent was on all these actually is not to give you a framework. Of us, the principles. Yeah, like a framework to work through. Decisions. That's that's a little different way of that's what the Word of God gives us. Also, our, in our behavior, we, the, the whole discussion about our paychecks happened around the table, lunch, and um, it, it, it brought to mind. Okay, I don't like this, <laughs> and it's not fair, and all of these things in my mind. I thought immediately, God is sovereign, I love it, and my example of how the words that were coming out of my mouth, you know, was what God was calling me, I can't do anything about it, it's going to be taken out of my paycheck, but my choice to not speak, not say anything, because I'm not up with anything good to say, but... The choice of how I engaged in that conversation around the testimony—it's uh, it, uh, a rebellious child. Yeah, I appreciate that because um, when when I'm—it's interesting—is that the passage we look at, which is again the the command is for this woman to be silent. Okay, no words. So we're actually going to look at what Peter's not saying. Right. Okay. In other words, he he didn't give specific words to say because, in fact. I'm reminded in uh, Jesus to his own disciples said, "Hey, I'm going to send you out, but don't don't meditate on what you're going to say. Don't don't have your your paper written out so you know exactly what you're going to say." In fact, Jesus said, "Don't do that. Let the Spirit lead." So you have a contrast within that. And, and to the other point of this is that as we go into it, when we talk specifically about this. This deference, and you know, in other words, when you when you when we get into those discussions in there, this one leads to the second one, which is example. Because, kind of, you're at the table, and literally, you have an audience, and so God's desire is that we follow an example. In chapter two, verse twenty-one. Now, this is again right in the heart of this whole behavior. Second, it says. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Jesus Christ is our perfect example too. And 4.16 was another 
uh, one within the theme of his writing. Um, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. And then finally, the theme of hope, that we live in the sure hope of future glory. 1-3. It starts off, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 21, Who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him the glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen to that. To live the Christian life is to live in the hope. So with these five... Now you have a bird's eye view of the the primary themes that Peter is trying to bring forward. Suffering, behavior, deference, example, and hope. And we're right in the middle of this aspect of deferring the section of this study as we've gone through it. Dave, I think several times we've used the word behavior. And every time we use it, I keep wanting to add a word in there. Responding behavior. We can't control our external influences. We can control how we respond behavior to those external factors. And we're trying to learn from this how we respond. Is it a pro-God influence or is it an anti-God influence that's being pushed at us? Okay, if it's for God, we respond in a positive manner. Echo. If it's an anti-God, if it's a negative type influence, we've got to use God's example. Christ's submission to tailor our response. I appreciate that. Because the verse that comes to mind that... um, it says, and if you call, this is verse 17 of 1, chapter 1 of Peter. It says, if you call on the Father who, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves with the time of your stay here in fear. Now, in chapter 2, verse that Mark says, it says, having your, your, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your behavior, your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, to your point, is that my conduct, what drives it? Is it Jesus Christ, or is it a circumstance, or is it you that is, okay, I need to do this then? Our motivation is what you're saying. Our motivation is Jesus Christ. That is my conduct is directed that way. And what is interesting from this is that if that is set and becomes foundation in our lives, you see, you don't know how God will use that conduct, and I'll use the word works, even though it's just, you know, as you're out, you're living for Christ, how God will use that literally as a foundation, as a greatest evangelistic tool that you may not even have any idea how God is using it. That tool. I'm, I'm, one. I'm, I'm mindful of that. I'm convicted about that. But I think it's a great point. Mm-hmm. But yeah. on the other hand, how many years? If people, she or she, they see him, and they could say, "Well, see what happens to him. He wasn't saved, or he suffered all these years." I don't want that. So 
That was not a good example. Conduct when he was released would have been the example. Dealt with his imprisonment, with the injustice. That I don't know much about it, but if I remember correctly, you know what I'm saying? Like I can't even. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, words are not no. good. Uh, well, but, actually, to John's one of your your examples that you gave, John, which was Paul. In that, I think in Acts, in that section, he actually, he's the one that sort of rats out the, uh, he says, you know, you guys, you guys, you guys got to address the problem, how you're treating me. And they're going like, no, 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 we'll let you go. So in each circumstance, the situation of that, we can, we, we got to be careful. We're not judging that in itself. But yet, let's say it is a government uh, situation or a civil situation, is that, it's, I'm going to go back to the Romans passage. It is God established, instituted, and created that government, that circumstance, that situation. So I, as a, I, as a believer, I'm going to be subject to that and not try to, again, it comes back to what Cheryl was saying, is this, my conduct should be that focused on Christ, Jesus Christ, Period. There's a passage in Matthew that convicts me. You know, it's, it's sometimes even when we pray, you know, we pray with intended outcomes, and then we keep being repetitive in it. But like, oh, I just want to make sure you're hearing me, going through that, and yet Jesus is saying, "Don't, you know, we're not. That's not the way it's to be done." Point earlier in the class too. Was How to conduct yourselves in the world that is set against you? The epistle, this epistle of Peter. Um, just some. We've been talking, um, sort of for this past year, that it helps us to live and navigate, as Mark talks, in the midst of this, this hostile society. Literally within the context, it being described as a hostile society under the, the, the rule of Nero. But as it relates to us today, still, great hostility that exists within our own um, the world, even in our own circumstances. And how do we conduct ourselves in that? And then to elevate themselves to turn toward it. So it is this elevating aspect of it is really this call to these believers. And as we have studied this, and this was the, sort of our, been the outline that Mark and I have been working off, is, is that we spent first part of, of the year last year looking at this focus of back. So he is, many times we need these same reminders that we're going looking backwards. In other words, he verses... Uh, one through through chapter two of eleven, focusing on remembering the great salvation that we have, which is really literally the basis for our future hope, and then remembering the example before men in the past. You remember the great salvation, provide a living hope in the present. We remember our responsibility as believers to be examples before men, and this is this aspect of chapter two all the way through where we're at camp right now, how we navigate life really matters. And then the third part of our study to get through chapter 4 through 5, which is our future, remembering our living hope. So there are three perspectives. There are three perspectives that we've talked about. The living hope, the past, I mean, the, 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 the salvation, our present witnesses that we have, and this future that we have with Jesus. And we found our, I find ourselves in our study sort of like right in the middle of this section, this whole of living in this world. Now, the bottom line is we're going to have, um, in order for us to have an exemplary type of testimony in this hostile world, whether that he, he's directing it to his readers, 
and that's the same question he's asking them. Or is it a right? We, as the readers, applies to us. It says, "How?" So the question is: Is how do you have an exemplary testimony in this world? What would be the key characteristic that you would think that must be resident within your life? Mark. It feels to me like it's push ride, but I think it's supernatural response. So the opposite of the supernatural response is a man created. I'm going to direct that, okay? And and again, when you, um, within the context, in that verse in, in chapter 2, because they're here it's speaking to these evildoers, they're going to speak against you as you evildoer, that they may be by your, your works, which they observe, glorify God in their visitation. What that the, that last part of that verse, of this glorifying God, is, is that that individual came to faith and now is looking back at your behavior and is glorifying God because that's what they observed in your life. And now they get it. Does that make sense? It's sort of like this, when it says they're looking at it, and so that is the supernatural response, Mark, that you're talking about. And I would submit, and that's the key word, by the way, that is exactly what, why Peter is directing this woman to be silent. It is this, because allowing the supernatural work of the, of the Holy Spirit work there, without expectation, without an outcome, and a natural response to that. The command we see within this key theme is submit. Okay? So, to Mark, you, and you're talking about conduct, is it not submitting? It's really at its submission. Because we're going to submit ourselves to the work of God. I mean, it's, it's a wholehearted submission that we're seeing here. That, I believe, is the key. Now, within the, the, the text that we see, the word, as we've talked about before, is that submitting is simply this arranging in military fashion. It's, it's, it's meaning that there's someone you're going to fall in line under, that we're, we're submitting ourselves. In addition to being a matter of authority, submission is also a matter of priority. And that verse in chapter 5, verse 21, is that we are to submit to everyone, to submit to others. Philippians 2, 1 to 5, the example of Christ being submitting himself, being humbled himself. And submit yourself to every human institution which are ultimately derived by God in Romans 1.13. We, we focused in that, we spent a great deal of time in that passage in Romans 13, verse 1, as it related to government. However, tell me how it is that that truth that it says, that we're said that God has created every human institution, is does, has God only created government? No. In fact, that would, would that not be applicable to the employment situation? Would it not be applicable to the marriage situation? Absolutely. It so, would be applicable to their... Hmm. But to be able to say, you know what, Nero's not listening. I can elevate this. Sovereign Almighty. And, and, and by the way, I greatly rejoice in that. Rejoice. Okay? And it just, yeah. it just constantly... Hmm. I mean, it's just, what is your view of God? Do you believe God is who He's... Yeah, I'm just like... Like, this stuff is going through my mind. I wish you could all do chapter 7 of our latest Bible study because, you know, there's just this verse, you know, how often we have it all upside down. Not the potter who is creating the vessel, the one who knows it all so much better and whatever circumstance he allows in our lives. But I get it upside down because I don't want that. I've got a better idea here.
here. And I don't know, I'm just, this is going not just to God, friend God. I don't know where you get that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, please. That's why I like this room better. It just seems it lends itself to more discussion. Mm-hmm. Jen. Yeah. It will. And and I I'm not trying to I mean we you can connect dots, but you know when we talked about the civil <laughs> the civil aspect of that in government, when you look at the, the political views of the very people that God has sovereignly allowed to be in there, but yet as as believers that we do, we can recognize that there is this culture of tolerance and acceptance, and I think that is where we struggle. And, and as we start getting into even this passage, it deals with marriage. Tell me, do you know, how many marriages do you know where there is a believer and a non-believer in that relationship? I, I, I think we all have know somebody not even our own families, but in friends that we have that are in similar situations. Well, what created that situation? How did it get there? But also, how do you counsel those individuals? Is some of the, and that's really kind of what you're saying too, John, is that, hey, do, you know, do we understand the times that we're living in today? When we talk about a hostile aspect of it, we envision in our heads that it is threatening to us, but that is... Not the, that's not what Satan's mode is. One of the things that we're constantly look at submission is that he would want us to submit even in to those types of perspectives on that. That's how he is working today as the great deceiver. Scripture, and this is, there's no different here. And Second Peter will be really strong on the false, right? The false teaching part of this thing. But it is those warnings that we have responsibility to recognize. Strengthen our understanding when when has to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's just I don't know. Hey, I'm going to give us. Can I for the just for the sake? Can I give a really silly example? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let, let's just say. Okay. Now we got the we got the income tax. Okay. Mm-hmm. Change right or you know, social security tax that's effective now. Now, of course, if you want to waive that, you could check a box. That with employer that would say is that as long as you never speak against homosexuality, I just I'm just going to tie the two examples together, okay? Now that in itself would be one is saying like I can't do that. So that but you you're going to potentially going to have those types of future choices to navigate through. That isn't the life and death, but it is the, from the standpoint that I'm compromising truth and how I would uphold that truth in. My everyday life. Hobby Lobby is a good example. Hobby Lobby being that um, you know they took a stand against. That's one of those things, and most likely Hobby Lobby will will fold. You know, most likely Hobby Lobby will not, unless you know God has, unless there's something supernatural that steps in. But I, I think that that's amazing. That's one of those things they end up and fight against. That, and, and the consequence to them may be something that is negative. In other words, there's something that. We would call it negative. Yeah, they may close. Okay, but it's regardless whether we, uh, even as a church, I believe we could be coming things ahead where we have to make decisions as a church, mm-hmm. corporately as a church, and there may be consequences where maybe we lose our tax exempt status. Mm-hmm. When are we going to be required? Right. To so be it. Things? When are we going to be required to hire a, a pastor or whatnot? You know, uh, when are we going to be required to do that? God reward them. 
this is like a wicked bow again. Like I, like, I like the call for us to grow. That's, that's good. The importance of submission, as we've seen throughout Scripture, in Philippians 2, 1 to 4, it, obviously it is the key to just unity and harmony in relationships as we see that passage in Philippians as it relates to Christ. Satan will rebel against any effort to submit. His strategies will constantly be to tempt us. He refuses to submit and from the standpoint of causing us and leading us even to a path of being independent. That's the self part of it. That's the natural part of it. And then submission is the core of man's relationship with God. So we just see this. And as we talked, um, when Mark and I were going through this whole thing on submission, we put together um, sort of this worldly comparison of submission as they would see it versus biblical submission. And I'm just going to go through and I'm just going to fill in these as we go through. Running out of time already. We're supposed to finish it earlier today. Also, aren't we, Mark? Okay, we'll get there. Let me... Yeah, that's it. Let me go through this. People are going to get the kids. Okay. Okay, well, this uh, this is kind of a review on things, but I, I just wanted you to, again, have this sort of in your, your, your worksheets there. But when you compare the contrast from the worldly versus biblical, worldly, when it looks at submission, is very limited as it is can make, in other words, it's based on status itself. And biblically, it is very, very broad. In other words, for the Christian, there's subjection to God, to each other, to husbands, wives, mutually to each other, to all. I mean, we see this, this broad brush scope of this call to biblical submission. It is compulsory from a worldly perspective. Imposed from without is very legalistic. It's outward, it's compliant. In other words, it's the have-tos is the environment that we see from a worldly submit. In other words, you are totally must submit. Even as we look at government or we look at the workplace, you're saying, well, I have to do this thing. From It is a biblical perspective. True biblical submission is voluntary. It is from the heart. It's motivated by self-interest as opposed to being motivated by faith, hope, and love. And it results in self-sacrifice. It is given to those in authority who expect that we act in a way that benefits them. Isn't that true? It is given to Him, and Jesus is our model, Ephesians 5, 21-33, 1 Peter 2, 21-25, again points to the example of Christ. It minimizes our dependence on others and to maximize one's own independence. As you can see from a worldly standpoint, it's that there, it's... Again, still tied to this previous one, which was self-interest that we saw. And biblically, submission is dependence on others and a surrendering of our independence. And again, that's the opposite of what Satan wants. Satan's fall was his independence from God. And, you know, in the Isaiah passages where he said, what, I, it was to be, he was going to exalt himself. May act in the, the way one authority demands, but seldom silently. And it's often, biblically, is often evident in the silence which accompanies suffering. And that actually will sort of segue into, again, this command of silence that we see in the first part of chapter 3. So this was a little bit of review, but from the standpoint of biblical submission, felt we needed to spend some time on that as the foundation to really... Um, getting into the passages um, that we will start probably next week on. But uh, let me give you a quick little preview of uh, 
the structure, if I could. This will take a second on the structure. I'm just going to go through and stop it at this point here. So really, from a structure standpoint, it seems that as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this, that basically there's key three things that we're going to look at. This first one in verses 1 and 2, silence which should characterize the wives whose husbands are both lost and hostile to the faith. So one of the things that we will work through next week is, first of all, how do we know that the husband is a non-believer in that passage? So we're going to be able to look at even how Peter writes in the first couple chapters that clearly help us to see that this is a non-believing husband in that first directive that he gives to this woman. But it is this call for silence, no words. In verses 3 and 4, in verses 5 and 6, it specifically are these externals. As we look at these, he addresses the women's attitude towards adornment. Okay, the outward appearance. And clearly, the culture is what drives this. And I'm going to tell you, it's no different today. Okay, it's really no different today. It just looks a little bit differently. But we'll bring that back. And in verses 5 and 6, the example of godly women in the Old Testament. They have godly examples that, he, that Peter was using as a reference to his readers. Do you have some examples that we can work through as well? And then we'll begin the exposition of the text as it goes through. But by way of structure, he's laid it out into these three sections. And this is just the first six verses. And then he loops back around and he bring, comes back to the husband starting off in the same way. So kind of a quick snapshot. But actually, the application is both. The weighting is different. It's a six to one. But I think I can explain the, why the weight is different. It's a cultural difference. Okay? All right. Well, we'll stop at this point so you kind of know. And you bring your hand out. I'll, I'll make more copies for next week, but uh, we can go from there. Any kind of thoughts? First of all, thank you uh, for the, the engagement. I want it keeps you in it. I, I think Mark and I both appreciate that so much. And just standing up and talking on that really it allows us to really get deeper into that and to bring uh, application to it, really. So, Mark, can you close us in prayer? I really appreciate that. Father, thank you so much for your word that gives us general insight into your Father, as we think about this this human understanding character. Amen.